Welcome to Happy Path Programming. I'm Bruce Eckle. I'm James Ward. All right. Well, today we have with us uh, Jorge Vasquez from Bolivia. And uh, I saw your talk at Functional Scala. Um, was that last week? Two weeks ago? When was that? I don't know. Last week. Blur. Time is all strange. <laughs> yeah, it's last week. Yeah. Yeah, last week. And just loved it. And so we'll talk about your talk in, in a little bit. But but yeah, great to have you on. And uh, we um, let's start with, how did you, you're in Bolivia. How did you yeah. get into Scala in Bolivia? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. That's that's an interesting story. Um, it, it was some, some years ago, I think uh, 2015. Uh, I was working in a company here in Bolivia uh, using just Java. So uh, we used Java 8 there and uh, we used plain Java. We didn't use any frameworks at all. Uh, the company had its own internal wow. frameworks and communication <laughs> protocols and things like that. It was a telco company. Okay. And it all yeah, from scratch. <laughs> everything from scratch. Yeah. We also did some C to interact with some very low-level libraries, to interact with the uh, 4G networks and that kind of stuff. And, uh, well, I remember one day my my boss, who is also my my friend and my teacher from university, uh, he told me about Kotlin. So he huh. he started looking at Kotlin and told me, oh, this looks this Kotlin language looks really nice. It, it seems like and a better job. how long Java. ago was that? That was 2015. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so like early, six years pretty ago. early. Yeah, it was the early Colin. years. Yeah. Okay. So I got interested. I and I started looking about Kotlin, and I don't remember about at what moment, but I got to Scala. So I I started <laughs> seeing Java something from Scala. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, well. I actually didn't uh, do anything with Kotlin. It was like I was starting reading articles, right? And uh, there, I think there was one of the typical articles like comparing Kotlin with Scala, right? And that's how I got to know about Scala because uh, I, I've never heard about it before. And uh, I started looking at Scala and I saw there was some interesting things from functional programming, right? Like these typical functions, map, filter, fold. Do you have a and, math background? Did you study math in school or? Yeah, yeah. I, well, not, not math, math. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I studied engineering, but in that, uh, during my career, I had a, a functional programming a course. It was just okay. one semester. And that was with Haskell. And okay. I loved Haskell that time. Ah. And yeah, I remembered about those things I've learned, right? Like filter, map, fold, fold left, fold right. And I saw everything of that was in Scala, right? So th that, that, that was uh, the most exciting moment for me. And I started, I decided to learn more about Scala and I left Kotlin aside. Huh. So, so I started looking at the... The courses from Odersky in Coursera, right? Uh, there was already the functional yeah. programming specialization. Uh, and that, uh, well, after that, I started uh, learning about ACA. Okay. And uh, yeah, yeah. Th so that's that's basically how everything started. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And it, were you doing this at that telco or had you moved on to to a different different job? Or Yeah, well, the, the telco just wanted to use Java. 
So after that, but I you changed. Know, Java has the map and filter and all that stuff now too. Java eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that that that's a very good point, right? Also, I liked about Java eight that it included uh, the Lambda expressions, maps, filters. Stream, yeah, but stream yeah, but it was limited, right? So so yep. I wanted to do. Well, at that time, I, I knew something about functional programming, like the basics in at university, but I always wondered how how would it be doing a complete application using just functional programming? Yeah. And I realized Scala had more potential to do that than Java. Java was like with the streams API, you could do some some nice stuff, right? Like instead of doing those four loops, you could do everything in one line with streams, right? So yeah. so that was awesome, but it was very limited. And um, well, also I wanted to use more Scala because of Akka initially, because in that telco company we had well, the application telco had to and be Akka are, are pretty pretty well fit for each other. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty well fit, right? Because with plain Java, we we had to use this very low level concurrency primitives, yeah. right? Like logs and synchronized blocks and it yeah. was awful because yeah. there was there were also deadlocks right it was impossible to eliminate deadlocks yeah. and sometimes the for example the the short messages system uh, stopped right <laughs> and it was a deadlock yeah. and after that uh, debugging to see what happened to <laughs> to so that deadlock happened it was really difficult and even worse, it was refactoring the code, so the deadlock didn't happen anymore. So when I learned about Akka, uh, I, I thought, well, th this is a lot better, right? Yeah. We should use Scala with Akka. And uh, yeah, but so sadly, you didn't, that... you didn't start with like Java Akka. You you just went straight to Scala Akka. Yeah, I I wanted to to start with Scala Akka because I thought it was uh, nicer than in Java. Yeah. But well, uh, I hadn't, I didn't have the the opportunity to use Akka in that company, and I left. I started uh, working in another company here that uh, uh, at uh, works with U.S. clients, and with that client, I started using Spark. So, okay. also, yeah, I, I learned about Spark before, yeah. yeah. Uh, but well, initially they were using PySpark, okay. and. Uh, they also used Hive and HQL for their jobs on, on AWS. Yeah. And they decided to migrate to everything to Spark, but they were they were deciding if they should use the Python version or the Scala version. And I told them, Scala, we should use Scala, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so That's because you wanted to. Yeah. That wasn't necessarily the best choice for them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, we did some research, right? Uh, I remember one person researched the Python version, one the Java version, and myself the Scala version. And uh, at the end, uh, it was pretty obvious that Scala was the, the best option in that case. Yeah. So we migrated everything to Sparking Scala. And uh, well, that's when I got more opportunities to work more and more with Scala with Spark, basically. Nice. And, well, after that, I saw that there were these nice libraries to make uh, Spark more type-safe, right? Like, frameless. 
haven't seen those. We'll... I've only I've only used Spark with the DataFrame API, which I was not very happy with the dynamic. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of it. Um, yeah, and that that was uh, that was a problem for us also because well everything compiles right, but when the job runs, it gives you runtime errors, so we had to be very careful. And uh, I I saw there was this frameless library. I haven't and, that's, I'll have to check that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. It's uh, it's backed by Shapeless. Okay, yeah. So so yeah, it uses these ideas of generic types and things like that. Yeah. And after that, I realized uh, there was also Quill. So yeah. I, I saw one of these great presentations by Alexander Yoffe. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, it, it was pretty motivating because always Alexander presents in a very motivating way, right? He does, yeah. So, yeah, so I got pretty excited I about. Quill. Quill. I haven't used Quill with with Spark, but but I've used it with Postgres, and and it just I love it. It's fantastic, and we had Alexander on mm-hmm. a month or so ago, and yeah, yeah. That's, so that's cool. So you like the experience of Quill with Spark, though? Yeah, it it was it was really nice, and uh, well. Besides that, I started exploring myself uh, about cats, uh, cats effect, uh, Scala Z. At that time, I didn't know about Zio yet. So, well, I was trying to understand uh, cats, all that functor hierarchy, right? And it was really hard to understand. It, it was really complicated. Yeah. So I remember at that time I decided... Um, well, I think I'll go back to Haskell. I, I learned better about Haskell, and I think that will help me to understand better cats. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I re- started reading some books about Haskell, and uh, with that, I was able to understand better cats. But still, I I couldn't see. I wanted to really see the light, right? Like the moment they. The light moment when you see, oh, I can really apply functional programming in everything, right? Yeah. And uh, I was, uh, I was just looking for more talks in YouTube and and things like that. And that's when I started. I reached to one of the of John DeGo's talks in YouTube, and it wasn't about Zio. It was about uh, pure script, I think. Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh yeah, I think I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, and that was awesome, right? And yeah. uh, I, I kept looking for more talks about uh, from John because uh, he explains very, very well. And that's when I got to know about Zio. So yeah. I remember his talk, functional programming to the to the mean. No, it was to the max, I think. Well, I yeah. think that was yeah. a Zio presentation. I don't remember, but there was one of these presentations where he. Uh, life uh, transformed an imperative application to a functional application with Zio. Oh, nice. And that's when I said, aha, finally, I can see the light. Yeah. I can see now no, that... Makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can, can understand use... these ideas. I don't have to understand the the monad hierarchy. The, the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that was my, my illumination <laughs> moment. Yeah. So so yeah, and since then I think that was two years ago. Yeah, when nice. I got to know about Zio, nice. uh, and now that you're was at the, the Scala C is the name of the the company that you're at, and they're a, a Scala consulting company. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I work with uh, Scala C. Well, uh, Scalac. Uh, Scalac. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, 
It it has, I think, uh, both pronunciations are okay. So some people say Scala C, other ones say Scalac. So there was never a consensus, I think, yeah. around that. But um, I started working there uh, last year on on March. So that's when well, I was on my previous job, and I was working with Spark, Scala, right? But I thought, no, I, I really want to work with Scala, with Zeo, with functional programming. So I started looking for remote companies and uh, I applied to some positions. And in that process, I remember I also saw a talk uh, presented by one of the Scala developers. It was in YouTube. I think it was at Functional Scala 2019. Yeah, 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 I think that, that it was there. And... Um, that's when I got to know about Scalac and they mentioned there we are hiring and we accept uh, we're fully remote company. And you can so, work in Zio. <laughs> and you can work in Zio, right? So that's when I decided to, to apply. And uh, yeah, thankfully I was able awesome. to join them. And since nice. then, since then I'm working with them. Well, that's cool. Nice. All from Bolivia. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, um, yeah, so I mentioned you your talk from uh, from Functional Scala last week, and so let's dive into to some about your talk. So you um, introduced something called smart types, but I think we should start with not smart types, but what is this problem that smart types solves? What's the underlying problem? Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, yeah. What's the pain point? Yeah, yeah. Well, the the problem was the following. Um, Precise data modeling. So we have like these typical programming applications, right? Like we, well, there are several problems, right? The typical one is, for example, you have a function that accepts an integer as a parameter. And you have to check every time, oh, is this integer positive or negative? Is it, if it's positive, uh, do whatever it needs uh, to be done. And if it's negative, uh, draw an exception, for example, or return an either, a, a left value of an either, for example. And you have to keep doing that every time, right? In your application, you have to make sure all the time that uh, you are uh, receiving valid data. So, well, there are good techniques in functional programming to solve that kind of problem. So one of those techniques is using smart constructors. So the idea of smart constructors is that you make the default, for example, you have a, a name class which encapsulates uh, just a string, right? And well, the normal constructor will accept just any string. It can be empty. It, it doesn't make any checkings. So the idea of smart constructors is that in Scala, you can make the default constructor private and you can create your own constructor in the companion object of this name class with right? your constraints applied on the on with the your constraints class. applied right so you receive you can an input even string. have a, a yeah it, it won't create invalid objects so if you think of a type as a, a set of values exactly then just make sure that whatever type you create does actually fit in that set of values yeah and yeah the, exactly so the so the the problem that we're trying to solve is that we've got this we've got these base types that we store stuff in memory with strings and integers but we for data modeling we want we want to have constraints 
that are beyond just those storage types. But this also sounds like, oh, I always forget the name of this kind of programming. The one where it's like, oh, I don't just specify this is an array of characters, but it is also size 10. You know, you have the extra constraints that the language imposes. What, right. What's that called? That's, uh, you know, they have a language for it or something. We've talked about this. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, okay, so that's that's the general problem that we're mm -hmm. that we're trying to solve, right? And so one approach that you can take is to have a smart constructor, which is going to, I, I guess, in the very basic form, non-functional, you would throw an exception if you try to construct this thing and and you violate it. But that would constraint. be at the point of trying to create the object in the exactly. first place, that's right. rather than waiting till you're trying to pass it. Into, exactly. You know, you'd say, yeah. okay. It's yeah. got to be this type. That's true. Yeah. And I guess maybe the a more traditional approach is to not validate until you try to pass it into something that uses it. And to have more precise data modeling, as Jorge framed this, the precise data modeling, you your function does not accept something that is is invalid. So your type your type parameter to your function expresses the mm -hmm. valid type that you can give it. Right. And, and if it's got to be in the range from 0 to 10, then it's going to say, okay, because it's that type, I know that it will never be outside of that range. Yeah. Rather so, than checking it inside every single function. That's right. Okay. So that's so you problem. would so you would have a type that says um that that says, I don't know, a really bad name would be integer zero to 10 or something right. like that, but you would have a type with that. Yes, name. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if you receive, if you have a function that, re that receives its, this integer one to 10 type, for example, you are sure that the value is between one and, and 10, right? So, yeah. so that's the idea of these smart constructors. And it's a very simple technique that can be used in, in Scala and in other languages, not just Scala because it's just a technique, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so oftentimes uh, the return type of your smart constructor isn't your value. It's an either an error or your value. And then you have exactly. to then. So you have then, to have a separate function and not a constructor because the constructors doesn't have a return type. In, in the, Scala, a constructor is just a function. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So so you can have this uh, a smart constructor function that will return this either type, for example. So it will be either an error or uh, the type like that you want, like name, for example, mm -hmm. right? So, so that's the, the basic idea uh, that we can use in Scala for data modeling, and it works very well, but it has some limitations. So, for example, uh, if you try to... Well, the, the, the example I've shown in the presentation at Functional Scala was a more complicated one. Let's say we have a person class and this person has three fields, name, email, and address. And well, the most naive implementation of that would be uh, modeling everything as a strings, right? And uh, well, that Name gives a us string, emails a string, address is a string. Exactly, and, and that's and like- No the... constraints possible in the- <laughs> No constraints, right? And that gives us several problems. Well, one that we don't have validated data. And the other problem is that uh, we can mix up things, right? We can mess up. So we can, when we try to instantiate a person, we by, by accident, we can pass an email to the name field, for example. Mm -hmm. And because all of them are strings, uh, there won't, the compiler won't help you 
so you know that you are uh, making a mistake there, right? So, so that's just says, great, well, you gave me a string, and, and and the type of string is anything. Is it can it be null in um, Scala? <sighs> string. I think technically you probably could pass null. Yeah, so. you could pass null. Yeah, but okay, well, so in fact, string, we restrict. <laughs> long string. Yeah, it's just a string. No other type restrictions on it. Yeah, exactly. Sure. It's just a string, right? And well, with this technique of smart constructors, we can create our custom types, right? Like like name, email, and address that inside of them encapsulate the strings, but this. Uh, uh, custom types have these smart constructors that will do some validations and so on. And now that we have these custom types, it's impossible, for example, to make that kind of mistakes like uh, you passing an email to a name, right? Uh, the compiler uh, will yell at you and tell you that that's not uh, the thing uh, to do, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Be like, oh, you tried to put an email in the name field that's mm -hmm. not valid. Mm -hmm. And then exactly. you also can, with the smart constructor, validate, do some validation, like name should an be an sign? empty, yeah, at, there should be an at sign in the whatever regex um, thing you yeah. want to do to validate that mm -hmm. it's an email. Yeah, so you exactly. don't, you simply never create a person that isn't valid. That's, exactly. Yeah. So makes, that should be fundamental. Make uh, yeah, make yeah, representable <laughs> uh, states. No, what's it? What's the what's the half? Yeah, make I, unrepresentable I, states impossible. Yeah, or make yeah. invalid. Make invalid states unrepresentable. Right. Exactly. The, I and I was remembering about a talk by Richard Feldman. I, I've seen you invited him some weeks ago. Yes, yeah, we talked to him a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, and he had one of his talks was was precisely about this subject. Right. It was in Elm, but it was the same idea. Make. A, Impossible states, uh, unrepresentable, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so that's the idea. Yeah, and it's a very basic one, right? But mm -hmm. uh, it's it's so obvious that <laughs> that I think uh, we we don't remember it, right? So we have to be conscious about using it, and it solves a lot of problems just by using this technique. Yeah, but it's just that sometimes the ergonomics of doing your data modeling in this way is hard. <laughs> And, yeah, and yeah. We'll get into some things that you've done to make it not hard, but, but yeah, I, exactly. I think that that's really. I think probably most people could get on board with the idea, but it's sometimes it's just is hard to do that well. Well, I think it also. I mean, in my own head, I've I I keep asking, oh, what is a type? And then I come back to this mathematical description of it's a set of values. And at first, I didn't like that; it was too mathy. <laughs> but now I'm going, oh. Now we have the basic idea, and how do we get to those set of values? So one way is the smart constructor. And after you explain it, I'm going, well, why is that sounds like the right solution? Why is that a problem? Okay, so one of the challenges with the, this approach is that if you have a smart constructor that returns in either for your name, for your email, for your address, and for your person, the code that you have to put together to to do all of those things and assemble it all together and maybe accrue all of your possible validation errors. Like it just gets nasty. Isn't like, this just a functional composition issue? Isn't exactly. You're doing? You're it just, it's just that it, it, the ergonomics can, okay. of it can be really painful. Cause yeah. I would like to know if the name field is wrong and there's only one name in the name field. And is the email address wrong? And I don't want to have to go back again and again to get that information. I would like all that information at once. So is that the yeah. problem? Yeah, exactly. So 
Okay. Be be before to create a person, for example, if you had just the strings, to create a person, you just needed to pass the strings and that was it, right? Mm -hmm. But now we can't just pass a name or, a, or an email or an address directly because the smart constructor always returns an either of those types, right? Mm -hmm. So now we have a new problem that's composing the either's, right? And well, in Scala, we can use four comprehensions to, to simplify that, uh, that composition, right? Because without four comprehensions, it will be a lot harder, right? But it's still something that it's uh, unpleasant, at least, right? So well, the, the four comprehension is going to just fail on first error when yeah, maybe you want gonna... to aggregate all of the errors. Well, yeah, you... exactly. Maybe you want to you... aggregate all the errors or maybe you are creating data with a constant values, right? Like you are trying to create a, a person, I don't know, a James Ward with a James Ward at dot .email.com and with a valid address. You know the so data is valid. At compile time, you have... At you compile have time. Yeah. You know. You have static values. And okay. so you don't want to have to go through all the messiness. You're like, I know this is valid. Like, don't make me have to go through all the either for comprehension, whatever it is stuff. It's like, this is a valid person. And I know it is. And you can trust it because at, at compile time, I have these values. And exactly. but in the case of the smart constructor, it doesn't matter. It's, the smart constructor doesn't care if it's runtime or compile time. Uh, and so, th so it's painful when you know that something is valid, the compi at compile time, there's well, no... Well, no, the smart constructor is only run at runtime, right? That's right, exactly. Okay. That's, so, that's why so the smart constructor time, you is... don't get that. Oh. You don't... So what you want to do is be able to create static values and have them checked at compile time? Excellent. We'll get there. We'll Whoa. get there. But before okay. we do, before we do, there's uh, a couple other challenges mm -hmm. around the, this idea. One is, how is, how is your type actually... Um, stored. Uh, do you use a case class in Scala? And if so, then you have wrapping around that, that, that primitive value. And so you've got more memory overhead. Okay. So alternatively, you could use a, uh, a type alias to a string, but then there's all these ergonomic issues with that approach. And Jorge, you can tell us that you, this is, I think, part of your presentation. So you could tell us about some of the ergonomic issues with, with uh, type aliases. And then you could also tell us about opaque types. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, because... Well, you, you've mentioned other problem, right? Like, well, this first problem, like it's like extra boilerplate, right? When we know data at compile time, but the compiler can't check it, right? So that's one problem with smart constructors. And the other problem is runtime overhead, right? Because we are using case classes that wrap these strings, right? So we have additional boxing and unboxing overhead at runtime. So that's the other problem, right? We could use type aliases instead of case classes. But so you could say this type name equals a string, type address equals a string, type email equals a string. But with that, we will have the same problem as before, uh, in which you could mix up your parameters when creating a person, right? Because with at the, the end, you, just, you can give it a string, and and the compiler is yeah. like, cool, an email is a string, and a name is a string. So there's so you've lost you've your lost type your, information. Yeah, you've lost your type information, right? Type aliases are just other names for the same type. They are not separate types right mm -hmm. so so that's the those are the problems with smart constructors so in the presentation then i explored other techniques that we could use instead of uh, smart constructors to to solve these problems so the pro the problems are the compile time 
boilerplate, unnecessary boilerplate. And the other problem is the runtime overhead, right? And also we have other boilerplate problem at compile time. That is, if you know that you're trying to create a data that is invalid at compile time, the compiler also won't detect that and it will construct either's. Ideally, we would like uh, that to give us a compilation error, right? So smart constructors done that for you, yeah, right? Where And where I experienced this, this uh, challenge a lot is when writing tests so when i write a test like ideally my my constraints that i have on a on a type are would cause compilers if i've violated them and then likewise if i um i don't want to use a smart constructor in my test because i know what data i want to pass this thing and i know if it's valid or not mm. and so when you're writing your tests around these these more precise uh, data modeling types, it can be a huge pain for a, a lot of reasons. Mm. Exactly, exactly. And uh, well, so exploring other techniques, for example, there is this, this uh, new type library uh, that works just in Scala 2, by the way, it doesn't work in Scala 3. And I don't know if they are going to create a version for Scala 3 because it's don't, because maybe it's not even necessary for Scala 3. Uh, so the idea of this new type library is that you can still use this nice smart constructors technique, but you can annotate your class with this new type annotation. And the effect of that is that the runtime overhead uh, won't be there anymore. So at runtime, these values will behave just as normal strings. They won't be boxed inside these classes like name, email, and address. At compile time, yes. But at runtime, they will be simply strings. So, so is it using macros to do that? Yeah, I think it uses macros under the okay. hood to, to achieve that, right? Okay. So And it's kind of a weird syntax. Like uh, there's a couple different libraries that I've used around this. And and one of the things that's challenging in this space is that I've seen a bunch of different names to describe this same concept. Mm -hmm. So there's like new types. And then there's like tagged types or tagged unions. Um, yeah, there are several names. Yeah. yeah. And so it gets a little confusing to know like that all these things are really trying to solve that problem of precise data modeling. And in Scala, there's a number of different libraries that you can use for it. So new types is one. Even the phrase precise data modeling doesn't actually tell me what the problem is. Yeah, it just says yeah. It, it's kind of generic, so yeah, yeah. Need a better it's a name. different term. Yeah. Well, smart smart types, smart <laughs> types, maybe. Yeah, actually, that is more. Um, that is more. At least opens my brains up, brain up a little more than precise data modeling. We could be talking about domain driven design or something. Yeah, yeah. So True. anyway, so okay. So so the the new types uh, approach. We, we have better runtime performance, like we don't have the overhead of the boxing and all that, um, but we, we don't get the, the compile time uh, of static values exactly. checking. Like the, that's one of the downsides of that approach, right? Yeah, we have the same problem as before. So if we try to create a data that we know it's valid or invalid at compile time, the compiler won't detect that. So we'll have the same overhead with either and for comprehensions and things like that. So well, and, and ideally, you want to have some way to express your type constraints um, and, yeah. and potentially express multiple type constraints. like In you, kind of a mathematical way. 
yeah, you want to be able to say like, must be longer than this on a string or must be, you know, and, must contain and these characters must contain these characters and you want to be able to have multiple. And I don't think new types has a good way to, to, yeah, express it doesn't. Kind of it doesn't have. yeah. And in fact, that's a problem I didn't mention in the presentation and it's a very good one uh, because when you start using this smart constructors technique, for example, with or without new type, the problem is that you have a lot of du duplication, right? Because, for example, in this very simple example of the person class, you have name and address that basically have the same constraint that is they, they shouldn't be empty, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and you have to write that logic for each type, right? For each smart constructor, you have to rewrite that same logic. So that's also a little painful, right? And with uh, new types, it's the same thing, right? Because in new types, you also write your smart constructors. The only it's difference is functional. that... Yeah. It's Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the only difference is that you add this new type annotation to eliminate the, the boilerplate at uh, runtime, right? Uh, but yeah, so that's another new types are very important, like the type aliases, but not the, they don't let us pass uh, a a email to a name field. Is that right? Is that one of the main differences between type aliases and new types? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and to, well, actually, at the very basics, the this idea of new types comes from from Haskell, right? So. Uh. Uh, in Haskell, for example, if you try to create a, the, the equivalent to a case class will be creating a data type. You have this data keyword and you can create like this uh, name type with a string inside of it. But that means additional boxing, right? But if instead of using the data keyword to use the new type keyword, that tells Haskell to treat that type as just a string at runtime. Uh, yeah, and that that's the basic idea you, of new You types. get a, a name that is yeah. not string for it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's the basic idea, right? And well, after that, you can add these uh, smart constructors and, and things like that, right? So, well, new type solves, solves one problem, but not the runtime problem, but the compile time is it's also, it's still a little ugly yet, yet. So... If you if you try to convince your your teammates, right, uh, it's a little hard because they don't understand. Oh, why I have to keep uh, this repetition across uh, the, all these types, right? And I need to use either everywhere and this for comprehension. So so it's not very convenient. So I export other library in Scala that's refined. Uh, and refined is a very interesting library. It it also just works in Scala 2 for now. Uh, and it's inspired in Haskell as well, as, uh, as I know, uh, as far as I know. Okay. And uh, the idea of it is that you can define uh, type constraints, but at the type level. So uh, it uses... Uh, There's like a DSL, There's right? There's like a, a type DSL. Like yeah, a, a type level DSL. Exactly. So, the, so, so in your in your brackets, you actually use types to convey the constraints that you want to apply to this thing, and so it's a very very kind of strange, awkward DSL. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a little hard to to use, right? And well, now in Scala two point thirteen, it's a little better when you try. It. For example, if you want to define your email type. Normally, you would just create a type alias, right? 
and say this type email equals to a string, a refined string that must match these rejects. But all of that you have to write as a type. So it has a type syntax. And before Scala 2.13, the syntax that you yeah. would write this in. Yeah, the, the, the DSL was a little weird because to to be being able to write the rejects, for example, that has to be matched, uh, you had to write this W and T at the beginning, at the end of the rejects. It, it was weird looking. So yeah, some, it, it was amazing. Weird tricks in the with the type system to, to yeah yeah there's but you there, look at it you look at the code and you're like how is that even valid scala code it's i wild. have used regular expressions for decades and i only get to a certain level of complexity before well usually what i do is break it down into multiple regular expressions because one of them is too complicated yeah. and even then if i go back and look at it after any amount of time I don't know what it. So, so now combine that with trying to express that regex in a type system, yeah. in, like in the type, not in. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> not in a string. I, know. I, I, I can't imagine it. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's very weird. And in Scala two point thirteen, it's a little better because now to include the regex at the type level, you don't need to use this w and t that you need to use before, uh, because now Scala two point thirteen has a singleton types, right? So that's why the DSL improved a little bit there in Refined, but it's still a little awkward. Uh, but the advantage of Refined is that, for example, if, if you have this email type, you have a type alias email equals this Refined string that matches these rejects. To create, a, for example, an email at compile time, you can do that and the compiler will detect if uh, the email you're trying to pass is valid or invalid. So you could say uh, val email equals, and you put a valid email there, the compilation will work okay. And if you pass, for example, an empty string, the compilation will fail. And it will tell you this uh, value doesn't match these rejects. So now the compiler is able to detect errors at compile time. So so that's so also about It gives you the benefits of being able to use the same validation at compile time and at runtime. And in the case of runtime, you get back an either, whereas at compile time, you get back a, just the, the value. Right? Well, and in the evolution of all of these things, I can see that it would also demonstrate that this is a valuable thing to do, to, to validate at compile time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, well, as uh, James was mentioning, uh, Refined has this refine V method to do the same refinements, but at runtime, right? Hmm. So you have compilation, uh, validation at compile time and at runtime. So that's that's awesome, right? So that's a problem that's solved there. But are they boxed though? They, they are boxed. So okay. they don't introduce any runtime overhead, but uh, there is a, another problem now. Well, it's like, uh, a problem we already mentioned before, if you just use type aliases, uh, for example, you have this name type equals a uh, refined string, non-empty, and you do the same for address, you have the same problem as before, right? You can intermix you can address and name yeah. by accident, right? So we have the same problem again. <laughs> so the way to eliminate that problem will be combining refined with smart constructors. So, so that way 
you have compile time validation and runtime validation. But because we are introducing smart constructors again with case classes, that means boxing, additional yeah. boxing again at runtime, yeah. right? So, yeah, so, so it seems there is no way out, right? So, so that was the problem we were trying to solve in Zio Prelude, right? So the problem is that, well, you have to choose your poison, right? What do you prefer? Uh, extra runtime, runtime overhead? Or do you want to live with extra compile time overhead? You can solve both problems at the same time. So, so, so that was the there was no way to like have our cake and eat it too with with all the things that we want from from precise data modeling. <laughs> so it just didn't didn't exist. It seems so fundamental, you know. Once you start talking about it, because like, okay, we have types that the compiler will check. But then we have the creation of these types and whether they're valid or not. And that seems so essential to what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ideally, you would, in a program, almost never use primitive types like string and right. int and whatever. Like sure. everything would be a more specific type. But then type there's thing. the boxing issue. There's the efficiency issue. And, and that's always maybe for 80% of the people using the boxed is fine. But then there's always going to be the others who go, uh, it's, you know, this is going to cause us problems. And yeah. so you have to solve that problem. But it, it really seems like this should be part of the language. And as I, I'm slowly learning Zio, one of the things that I kept asking was, what is Zio? And finally, I think it was Kit, because I said, this feels like more of a language within a language. And he said, yeah. yeah. And, that's, and this is part of that. Yeah. What you're doing is part of that. Yeah. Is, is like, okay, now our new language has, here's how you create things and make sure that they're reliable without so how do you solve the problem of boxing <laughs> yeah the, well that was interesting right and well before going to the prelude oh yeah we well, got you, you can opaque types oh, oh okay yeah you could think well scala 3 now has opaque types maybe with opaque types all the problems are solved right so the idea of opaque types is it's basically they are type aliases right but they are more smart so you can say opaque, opaque type name equals a string, right? So in every part of your application, uh, the, uh, the compiler won't know that under the hood, this name is a string. It's a type alias, but all your application doesn't know about that. It thinks it's you a different type. Yeah, you can't, you can't accidentally intermix a string. You can't or, intermix or a string like with, with names. Aliases. So it's kind of a fix to type aliases. It's, yeah, it, it's a better type alias. Yeah. It's a better type alias, exactly, yeah. right? But uh, you don't, if you want to add these additional validations, right? Like, uh, well, this name's a string, but uh, it has to be uh, a non-empty string. You, again, have to resort to smart constructors, right? And, and, uh, eithers and and boxes. and you have yeah, the eaters. No compile time validate checking right. of, of values. Exactly. So again, we have the same problem. So yeah, it seemed there there wasn't any way out. So that's why that's why we this we started looking. Uh, well, this was John's idea originally, huh. and 
he told me, uh, well, maybe it will be nice to to implement this. Well, I, I, by the way, I'm I'm part of the Spartan program of John. And uh, yeah, we have these uh, one-on-ones uh, every month. And uh, I, you can use that time as you wish, right? So, so he's I, like I, mentoring you and, and your project that you're working on with him is... Yeah, exactly. Is yeah, so, so that's that's awesome. Yeah, because John knows knows a lot, a lot about Scala and functional programming. And uh, at that time, I remember I wanted to explore more Scala 3 macros because... Uh, uh, Scala 3 was, it wasn't re- even released yet. It was almost there. And uh, every one of us uh, knew about this uh, new and shiny Scala 3 macros. I saw the Alexander Yoffi presentations again. She, he uh, put some nice videos in YouTube, uh, like implementing a very basic version of Quill in Scala 3 to demonstrate how Scala 3 macros work. And I told John, well, I'd like to explore more about this Scala 3 macros thing because they seem really, really cool, right? And he told me, well, maybe we can implement this. Uh, well, we told them refined types at that time. Uh, they weren't smart types. Uh, and the idea would be that they should be validated at compile time and at runtime, and there shouldn't be any overhead. So that was the goal. John had the vision initially he had the idea in his mind so good ergonomics good efficiency good compile time validation ideally like understandable 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 that like, you want to be able to write your constraints in a in a rational non way not yeah like yeah so like keep like uh, i i think when you were talking with kit uh, some time ago uh, you mentioned, right? Like zeal is like a state of mind, right? <laughs> and <laughs> I think this state of mind is making everything as performant as possible and as ergonomic as possible, right? Yeah. Because uh, that's how we are going to attract more people to functional programming, right? And so those were the objectives. And we started exploring first how to implement uh, these uh, smart types in Scala 3. Uh, because that was my initial objective. And, uh, well, it was a little difficult because there is not too much uh, organized documentation around macros, right? <laughs> After talking these uh, really great talks from Alexander, uh, I started to understand better macros. And I was able to implement something very basic. And... Uh, after several weeks, because uh, we weren't uh, being able to implement what we wanted, uh, finally worked. So the idea was that we should have this nice assertion DSL. And this assertion DSL, it's basically where you say, uh, this has to be a non-empty string, for example. Or this number has to be greater than zero and less than 100. So sure, we have a nice, yeah. yeah, we have a nice DSL for assertions, but we wanted those assertions to be evaluated at compile time. So that was the problem, right? And how to do that with macros? Because the, the assertions are written in Scala, right? Like they're yeah, they're, they're written in Scala. Scala it's it's so, normal Scala code. Yeah. yeah. So how do you take something that is is a Scala runtime thing? and make it run at compile time. <laughs> exactly. So so that was the problem, right? And, uh, well, that's basically what Quill does, 
right? Yeah. It has a uh, DSL that normally would uh, be executed at, ra at runtime, but uh, with the magic of Quill, it, everything is evaluated at compile time, right? So that's how we get, a, uh, we have a normal Scala expression uh, converted to a SQL query, right? So, but I didn't know I how to do that, time, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I don't, I didn't have all the knowledge that Alexander has, right? Yeah. So, so well, but after looking at his talks, uh, everything was clearer and uh, we were able to implement the basic version and it worked. So that, that was really exciting. And um, well, after that, the, the next challenge was, okay, now we would like to make it work in Scala 2 as well. Maybe it's not possible. We didn't even know if it was possible because Scala 2 macros are completely different, right, from, from Scala 3 macros, and they are harder than, than in Scala 3. And uh, Kit was the one who helped me there a lot. So, uh, but because he has more experience in Scala 2 macros than myself, right, because he has uh, worked a lot in improving Z ergonomics by implementing macros under the hood, right? Like he has improved the assertion DSL for a Zio test, right? So yeah. under the hood uh, that uses macros. So Kit helped me with that and he made it work in Scala 2. So that Amazing. was awesome. Yeah. And after that, we integrated both versions and we tried to make uh, the syntax the most similar possible between Scala 2 and in Scala 3, because uh, in Scala 3, there are some differences in the syntax, but they are very minimal. And that's because of how Scala 3 macros are different yeah. in Scala 3, right? But uh, yeah, and well, finally, Kit and Adam did some improvements there because before implementing these uh, refined types, that was the initial name, um, there was also these smart types, but they were a separate thing that John already had implemented before <laughs> in Zoperlut, yeah. but it just worked at uh, runtime. It didn't right. make any validations at compile time. Okay. So it eliminated the runtime overhead. That was the idea. And so but... One thing to point out real quick too, is you also made it work so that when you're working, when your underlying uh, type is like a string, a primitive type, you made it so that that your uh, smart types don't have to be boxed, but you can use like a case class as well. So our example of a person, a person is a case class which has boxing, but then the name, email, and address are just strings, and so those are not boxed. So you, you're able to then also unify this so that where where you use a case class, it works, and where you use a primitive, it works. Yeah, exactly. So yes, you have mentioned these smart types aren't boxed, right? So at runtime, they will be just strings, right? And uh, it uh, they do compile time validation, right? Thanks to the implementation with macros, right? So you can, if you want to create a valid person at compile time, you can do that directly without using either and stuff like Those that, right? Structures, yeah. Yeah, and if you want to do runtime validations, you can still do that, right, uh, with either. Well, actually, not either. Uh, in the Zoprelude version, we use a better type than either. That's validation, right? So this validation, it's kind of similar to either, 
but it's not short circuiting, right? So before we were saying that if we're trying to create a person with name, email address, and the name fails, everything will immediately fail and we will just get the error with the name, right? But with validation, you can validate all the fields in parallel and uh, accumulate all the errors. So it's it's better than either. It's an applicative instead of... Uh... It's an applicative, right? So <laughs> so that's the fancy I term. Because Bruce fancy and I word. were talking about applicatives a couple of days ago. Yeah, I probably understood it at the time, but now it's gone. Yeah. Um, Just still Accumulation. It has the yes, ability right. to accumulate the errors. That makes sense. Of... So the thing is, this doesn't sound Zeo-specific. But it's part of the Zeo library. So, Zeo Prelude, yeah. Yeah, it seems like this maybe should be something that's just a separate thing that people can use without bringing all of Zeo in. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, in fact, uh, there was a discussion around that some time ago. And I've seen some people were precisely mentioning this topic these days in Twitter. And uh, well, Zeo Prelude is a separate library, right? Uh, but it depends on Zeo. Right. And well, the reason for that, I think, is that uh, in Zeo Prelude, there are, uh, for example, Zeo Prelude, in, besides smart types, has other things, right? Like uh, type classes, right? And uh, in Zeo Prelude, there are instances of these type classes for the types in the Zeo library, right? And that's why there is this uh, dependency. Mm. Uh, but there was this discussion that maybe. Uh, in the future, this uh, functionality of uh, new types may be separated to a completely different library, not Zeo yeah, Prelude. So maybe that, that will happen. I don't mm -hmm. know. But uh, yeah, th there was not a smart type and then Zeo smart types. Maybe Scala 4 will have this built in. That would be nice. Yeah, it <laughs> that just would be great. <laughs> so essential. You know, yeah. The more I think about yeah. just types in general. Yeah, it's like More what are than... what are your types for? You know, they're there to they should be there to help you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and... exactly. They, they, you you should be able. Well, I sometimes uh, we mention these typical examples about functional programming, right? Like, for example, if you have this division function that just divides to integers, is that pure or not? A typical function around functional programming, right? And you say, well, it's not because. Uh, uh, if you try to divide by zero, it will draw an exception, right? right? So in that case, what do you do to make it pure? So you have two options, right? One option, it's like the typical one, instead of returning int, you can return an option of int, for example, right? Uh, but the other option... So anytime you do a division, you have to return an option and then unwrap mm -hmm. the option. and it's Unwrap like, oh, the option, right? It's really painful, so painful, right? But the other option is used is using, for example, these smart types in the inputs, right? So instead mm -hmm. of accepting two integers, you say, well, the first integer can be any integer, but the second one is an integer and not non -zero. equal to zero, non-zero, yeah. right? Yeah. So that way you can still return integer as, as a result, and you don't have this overhead of the option, right? Uh, having to, to check the option value every time, right? So it becomes a pure function. And becomes a pure function, right? Total, so, total, total function. Total, total, total. function, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, 
or your option three is when you divide by zero, just return zero, which uh, Flix does, does this. That. Yeah, which and is a little... I'm so annoyed by this. Well, but... maybe we just don't understand it. Yeah, there <laughs> there has been a lot of debate around. Oh, yeah, because I think okay. Rust maybe does the same thing. Does it? Oh, yeah. And they were inspired by there's that. been a lot of debate around whether or not this is the right thing to do. And I think the right thing to do is to make your mm-hmm. your divisor a non-zero guaranteed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so let, let yeah. the compiler help you, right? Because, exactly. well, the other option will be maybe not returning zero in that case, but returning like the minimum value of int, right? And you <laughs> yeah. have to be very careful oh. about that, right? You have to remember that all the time, right? That uh, yeah. you are considering... The user have to check, right? Well, you might and... as well just program and see if you're going to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So... <laughs> So we are not using there the power of the Scala compiler, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't make too much sense. So yeah, and well, I wanted to mention also these nice DSLs we have for assertions. They are they follow functional principles, so they are very composable. You can yeah. yeah, you can compose assertions every way you want, and we also have this custom rejects DSL. So when you try to validate your emails, for example, you can still Say it has to match these rejects and pass the rejects string, or you can use the rejects DSL that it's nicer yeah, looking. I yeah, I think you'd like the rejects DSL because then you're not writing just a string rejects. You actually have a type a type yeah. DSL that well, it's a type DSL. Your, your and would it give you more specific errors? As oh. well, would it tell you like maybe where it failed? To, uh, oh, you're missing an at sign or something. Yeah, like yeah. Well. That right now, yeah, right now that doesn't happen, right? But it could, yeah. I think that will be a very nice improvement. That yeah. uh, the their type, get the good, error messages will be more get precise. Good error right? messages out of regexes. That would be, that, that, that yeah, would be awesome. That would be something. Yeah, yeah. And the, the the assertion library is really cool because it, I don't know if you've used like a, a combinator library where you chain together. Uh, like in this case, assertions, but the way that you chain them together is essentially building like an AST of of what needs to be validated. So you can say like, all right, let's group these two assertions and both of these need to pass, but then you can say, okay, or, and so you can use like algebraic combinations of these different assertions and you can use them across different smart types. So you can reuse your assertions as well. Mm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm. So a lot of super cool stuff there. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I have not used your new smart type stuff yet, and it is high on my list next week on our, in our book writing session, we should explore this. Cause I think yeah. we, we need a chapter in the, in our book on and smart types. And I've been types. thinking a lot about how, uh, you compose, um, data types in functional programming. So this would fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I think, uh, this feature will be, uh, uh it, it's really nice. <laughs> To, to include in applications, right? It, it solves uh, both problems we had uh, with the other approaches, the other libraries, and it works in Scala 2 in, in, and in Scala 3. So that's great. We really wanted to make it work in Scala 2 because uh, for several years, there will be lots of projects that will keep using Scala 2, right? For sure. So if, well, we didn't know if this was going to work in, in Scala 2 initially. Uh, but yeah, thankfully, it works in Scala 2 as well. So so that's awesome. So 
Yeah, no, I mean, uh, just coming from the Python world where we went from Python 2 to Python 3, it is a slog and there's going to be a lot of people many, who many drag years. their heels yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So making it work in Scala 2, I can see how you'd go, I don't know if this is going to work, but it does, I, that's going to make a big difference, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so I think that was very important, and uh, yeah, it will help with uh, adoption, right? So mm, there is uh, sure. So if you use Scala two, okay, you still can use it. And the good thing is that, as I've mentioned before, the syntax is very similar. Mm -hmm. There are some just three. Yeah. I think one or two details <laughs> that are different between the Scala two and the Scala three versions. Yeah. Is yeah, that's the, the thing you got to look at. It's like, right. oh, if we're going to maintain it for Scala 2 and Scala 3, oh, we got to make that as easy as possible. Yeah, yeah, make upgradability easy. Ooh. Cool. Well, what else? Did we did we miss anything awesome about smart types? Uh, well, well, I I think uh, I think that uh, that's basically it. That that's the idea behind smart types. And well, there are still lots of improvements to do, right? Like uh, having these uh, more precise error messages, that will be great, I think. Uh, that will improve also ergonomics. That's something very important in Zio. And um, well, we still need to add, for example, more assertions. And uh, well, maybe there will be even more improvements uh, on that side. And maybe I was thinking the other day, maybe we don't even need an assertion DSL and we can use just playing Scala syntax mm. and write the assertions. I don't know, I'm just thinking out loud, sure. but maybe it will be similar to, to what Kit did in Zio test, right? Like you yeah. can write your assertions just a normal Boolean expressions and <laughs> they get uh, analyzed under the hood by macros. Yeah. So, so I think that's a, a possibility as well to make wow. this even better. Mm, that's cool. That would be amazing. I mean, all that, it all, yeah. I mean, it's, for, I, for me, the more I think about types being, I mean, uh, data structures being immutable, then you go, well, okay, so you don't have methods anymore, but you still have the construction problem. Mm. And that's where you need to put all of your smarts so that once it's created, you don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can forget about that. Completely, right? Because right. in all, every part of your application, you know that if you receive a person, it's a valid person. It's impossible right. that it's invalid, right? So and suddenly so you know a whole that. bunch of logic just goes away. You don't yeah, have you don't have to check uh, if the name of this person is non-empty and if the age of this person is, uh, I don't know, non-negative. And that's that's typical, right? <laughs> in well, applications right. And it's that a dumb use of your time if you think about it. You're going, I have to duplicate this testing code in every single function huge, that uses this a thing. A huge it's, source of it's, bugs it's because, ridiculous. Like, because then what you if forget I get it to wrong? do it. Yeah, or, or you, you get forget it, wrong. it, you 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 copy and paste incorrectly, yeah. whatever, and it's just dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's to... it's very easy to forget, right? We'll all we've all been there. I think, right? You you have lots of methods, right? And you repeat the same validation logic in all the methods. And sometimes you forget about that in one method. And that's because the compiler is not helping you at all, right? You have just strings and you can't do... Uh, the compiler doesn't know anything else about your strings, right? It just knows they are strings. So yeah, it, can, it can't help you, right? So the idea of this is making the Scala compiler work for us, right? So... 
use yeah. use the incredible power that the Scala compiler has, right? Because other languages, other compilers don't have that power, right? True. But Scala does, so mm. so we should use it. We should use it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, this is such amazing work, and uh, thank you for sharing it with us, Jorge, and and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Super fun to to see you. Hopefully, we can see you in person sometime soon. Yeah, yeah, I hope uh, maybe next functional Scala. And yeah, well, uh, it's been a pleasure for me also having this time with you guys to discuss about smart types and my beginnings with Scala as well. So so yeah, thank you. Thank you a lot for, for inviting me here. Really interesting. Thanks.